All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire podcast, talking uh, football week 10. We got some big news at the top of the show, but first, as always, Jeremy Boss hanging out with uh, Matt Kennerly, whose Fresno State Bulldogs are now newly bull eligible and oh, Jeff Tetford six figures, so congrats to that. Feels pretty good, the uh, the bull eligibility part, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yes, check us out, mwwire.com. We're working on a few other items there with the other URL. There's a uh, GoDaddy's having some shenanigans with us. We have to figure out MWC Wire, but go to MWR.com. And, hey, we have our own specific place now with uh, – looks similar as before at College Football News, but we're now going at it not on our own, but just having our own little location instead of being rolled in with all their content. So if you haven't checked that out, please do so. We'd appreciate it. Oh, yeah. And it looks nice. We can have a little layout fun. We can make some photos. We can – I'm finding some cool tips and tricks on WordPress, which are fun. So look out for that, folks. And, and, and what? Yes, go ahead. And, you know, we might as well throw it out there now because we have some new digital digs. And I guess I'll, I'll take the lead on this. If you're interested in writing for our website, we still have some openings for teams that, you know, certain vocal parts of our of our fan base on twitter especially <laughs> you let just us hate. know why don't <laughs> you why don't you have this in well also boise state um you know if you were one of those people that has asked why don't you have content for our team we're looking for people like you or people that you know who have a passion not only for the team but a little bit of writing know-how mm-hmm. so by the time this podcast comes out we should have a post up on mwwire.com to check out um, but if you're interested in joining our staff, and I think we've already had at least one person who we've worked with before very briefly uh, express an interest in doing that. If that sounds like you, someone you know, anybody you think would be good at it, we're going to be opening that up real soon. Yeah, so um, just one quick note too. I'm not sure the co- – because our site technically just went officially live, I think, today, Sunday, or maybe Saturday – so there's still a few things to get a hold of us. I don't believe the comment sections are open yet, which I was kind of ticked about that on Saturday. So we'll put the post. We'll put out a contact. Basically, you could a uh, couple ways like, well, well, false. I don't I want the DMs open on our account because stuff happens and that's the case. So it may not be an issue, but there'll be a way to contact whether email myself, uh, Jeremy Moss at gmail.com, M-A-U-S-S, or just tag us on Twitter or something. But we'll make sure a way to contact us because unfortunately the there's a few things that were well while we are ready to go, they're still holding off on one or two small things because if you look at the site now, there's a couple, not quirks, but there's a WordPress is a fickle beast, so you can't comment at the moment. So that's all I'm gonna say. But there'll be ways to get a hold of us and kind of what we need real quick. Um, like I said, Utah State would be helpful. We don't one guy, but we we like that more than one. Boise State, that's kind of been on me. And so hey, for people who say we're Boise State homers, we don't really have a Boise State writer, and I've been pretty busy the past six weeks. Of not of being able to do previews, but I think this is correct. To what we we really need, if here also, if there's a team we say we don't, we say because like for instance, San Diego State, we're pretty stacked that way. We have quite a few writers, but if you're an Aztec guy who wants to do Aztec football, basketball, whatever, we're not we're we're still interested because more people cover the team, more coverage, more people come visit our website. It just kind of snowballs. So just because we have we do have better needs than others or greater needs, it's, it's don't be turned away if we don't mention. Aztec football because we have Aztec basketball but if you want to do it we're open to it right Matt for sure so the hierarchy you know, because our, our readership I should just mention it our readership our listeners 
they have made this new venture of ours a success since we launched in late June. Yes. You know, we just recently passed a thousand followers on Twitter, which by the way, if you're not following us there, you should. We just recently and passed a hundred likes on quick, Facebook. We gotta mention Twitter though, Matt. MWC Wire. That's the That's true. Yeah, also on Facebook, MWC Wire, we just passed a hundred likes there. But you know, we're always looking to get a little bit better. And that's what and that's we, all about. Yeah, and we'll do some more now that we're on our own site, we can not that it was hindering before, but there'll be some more stuff we can do, video stuff and other interesting things. But here's what we I'd say here's what we really need. Air Force is always tough because it's Air Force basketball is not great. But here's the teams. Air Force, Boise State, and Wyoming are probably the top priority for either football and basketball. Mm-hmm. Utah State's pretty close. We have a one rider right now does a good job. Very busy, so he can't always do certain things. So we, have, we can split the duties. And I guess uh, Nevada, maybe. Well, no, we're good in Nevada. But those are probably the teams we need the most. Air, Air Force, Boise, Wyoming, and Utah State. San Jose State, if you want to do that, that'd be great. We have Anna, but she's moving to the East Coast, so she can't do as much because she's been at every game for football. Goes to press conference every week, so we need somebody to not necessarily do what she's been doing, but to help out more. If you're on the East Coast watching San Jose State basketball at, night, at midnight, I feel for you, and I know she probably will still watch some, but still, it's mm-hmm. late It's late night, man. It can't, it's hard to, th- hard to do. And with them not expected to be great with like Brandon Clark transferring and new head coach, but... We'll have the post out, so check it out. But those are kind of the schools you want. If you want to just hit us up on Twitter, MWC Wire, Facebook, Mount Wire. We check our messages, um, whether it's a Facebook messenger, just a comment. Let us know. Cause, and we're still kind of new at this, but there's a few bucks to be able to be had. We're still working out exactly who's getting what, but it just won't be voluntarily, but also won't be a full-time job either, if that makes sense. And like like yeah. me and Matt say, guacamole and lunch money, essentially. Maybe a tad more if things go well, but we'll see. Yeah, just slide into the DMs like Drew Van Man and laying out for a catch in the snow. <laughs> oh, jeez. Snow games. Those are the best. We'll get to that later. Snow football is the best, right? Yes. All right, so let's get to – um. we'll talk bowl stuff in between each game because I'm doing my bowl projection post right now, which should be up. My eyes deceive – do not deceive me. There can be eight bowl team, bowl eligible teams in the conference. Eight. Yeah, and, you know, week 10, we're, what, we have five teams that are now in the race. You got one team, unexpectedly, probably, that's one win away. A couple of teams that need a little bit of help at four and five, and then a couple of other teams that, if they win out, they could play their way in bowl eligibility. So a lot of maneuvering left to do in these last few weeks. Yeah, we'll get to those in each game, but we got the newly, as I mentioned, Fresno, Wyoming's now bowl eligible. But let's get to the games here. Let's start off with the uh, first one, Army and Air Force. Oh, Air Force, Air Force, Air Force. That game did not go well. They lost 21-0. to zero. I believe, um, and also really quick, the Air Force Twitter account that said this was a heartbreaker of a loss. Come on, it was not. You lose by three touchdowns. I get it's a heartbreaker. Maybe you lose to your rival, you're favored, but the outcome was not a heart- heartbreaker. Heartbreakers losing on a 55-yard field goal with no time left. That's a heartbreaker. You know what it was? It was that it was 14 to nothing until like late in the fourth quarter. But it never really felt like it was that close. You're right. It did not. And part of it was like we mentioned this during the preview show. Like it also doesn't help when missed field goals are had. Both these missed field goals. But look at I could almost fit the drive chart and want without scrolling down very much on ESPN.com. We mm-hmm. mentioned before. Like, uh, we weren't joking. There might be, like, six total possessions, six first half possessions, like, eight overall. There were 11 possessions in this game. Technically, well, one less because Air Army took a knee with one, on one play. So that one doesn't even really count. 
there are few and far chances for Air Force to score when they're down by even just 14 points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, too. Like, looking at, the, like, the play-by-play and everything, like, what they're doing on every single drive, like, Air Force did not have a three-and-out the whole game. They had one three-and-out. Oh, oh, well, okay, the very end. Sorry, I must, admit, I must have been listening to that part before the end of the game. They had one three-and-out, but, like, they were – they weren't moving the ball well, but they also weren't being like stuff. But we mentioned previously during the preview, there's a alliteration there. You and I said like this army, maybe this army army defense is legit. We weren't, at least I wasn't really buying it because who they beat, but they held Air Force to ground game pretty much. Uh, it, this was their they, they they dominated on defense. Air Force was just dominating this Air, army. Day, excuse me, they had 89 yards in this game. And did you happen to check my note to recap of the last time this happened? They had fewer than 100 yards. I did not mention. I did not see that. Rather, no. They. I was looking around because all there's all sorts of stats that were broken. We'll get to all those, but this one was. I'm looking at them like it's got to be. You would think it's a long time since they had a hundred yards of not a, or excuse me, not rushed for a hundred yards. If I could speak tonight, you had to go back to 2008, and when they were playing University of Utah, who ended up being number two in the country that year, won the Sugar Bowl, beat Alabama. They held Air Force to, I'm trying to pull up right here, I think it was 58 yards on the ground, 53 rushing yards in a 30-23 to 23 loss. So somehow they still scored 23 points, but rushed for 53 yards. And that's a span of, I think, 112 games, I want to say. And then also, did you Army has also actually been pretty good against this defense? I think they've held them under 160 yards like five out of the past ten years. Like every other year they shut them down to under like 160. Well, Okay, so if you look at the last couple of years, like they in 2015, they held the Air Force to like a little over four yards of carry. Last year in their loss, it was Care- like hey, four, care- four point careful that's for carry. Careful that stat there, Matt. Oh, let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> but if you look at because you know part of it, yes, they had a win streak going on. They've won five in a row now. But during the four games coming into this streak, and especially in the last three weeks, where they basically had to escape Eastern Michigan and Temple. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily think of either of those teams as being especially effective running the ball, but they had given up over five yards of carry in each of the last three games. And so my thinking going into this game was that both of these teams would be able to create huge chunks of yardage to be, you know, kind of equally efficient to one another. So naturally, of course, you know, Army puts up the best defensive performance it's put up all year. You know, they not only shut out the Air Force on the ground, like they held them to 2.8 yards per carry on the ground. And like, that's just the kind of thing that, you know, especially in this particular matchup, I just didn't really even see it coming. And it wasn't as though they dominated on, on tackles for loss. Like they did have five and they did create uh, 30 yards worth of losses. On actually those tackles for loss include sack yards, actually 50. Yeah. So, I guess if you, you know, I just didn't really even see it coming. I guess no. <laughs> still, they're know, never. But, they're, this is historically bad. This is the second time in a decade they played this bad on the ground. Yeah, because if you if you look at the numbers, like you know, you expect a few big plays, but when you look at chunk plays on the ground, especially, Army had like nine plays of more than ten yards on the ground. Which, by the way, they didn't throw the ball once in this game, and. Air Force had, what, 34 carries as a team? Maybe 32 if you want to take away the sacks. Mm -hmm. But they only had three plays, more than 10 yards on the ground. And that, I think, is just kind of the biggest difference in this game. But more than that, 
if you look at what these two teams did on third downs, especially, like Army on offense, especially, they continually put themselves not only in position to succeed, but you know, that 10 of 12 that you see when you look at third down conversions, it was they were putting themselves in third and short over and over again. Like the very first touchdown that they had was a 21 yard run from a Bob Bradshaw on third and seven. But if you go through and keep looking at you know, the third down chart, you know, it's third and three, third and one, third and one, third and one. Like they had, <laughs> they had basically like one third and long the entire game. And when you compare that to what Air Force was able to do, it was kind of a tale of two halves. Like in the first half, they were continually putting themselves in more obvious passing situations, which I don't think it's any shock to say that that's not Air Force's strength. But then even later in the game, after halftime, when they were putting themselves in more positions to succeed, you know, they were 3 of 11 on the game, but there were, th- you know, three third and longs in the first half that didn't help cause. And they had four different third and three situations in the second half, and they didn't convert a single one. And you have to think that, you know, if they can convert at least one of those situations extended drive at some point that the tenor of this game maybe is a little bit different that they look a little more competitive than they ultimately were well they had a chance in the air army went down for a 16 play drive one of their many drives 10 45 or 10 42 they mm-hmm. go air, air force makes a stop on fourth and three third and four and there is windy there so they're probably they're up 14 i was like well let's go for the kill essentially late later in the game this was uh I forget what time, but yeah, they went for in third and four, didn't get it. Went for a fourth and three, they made a stop. Okay, Air Force gets the ball at their own 22. They go on a pretty good drive, 13 plays, but then they ended up getting nothing. Fourth and one at the 16. They Did you see that fourth one pass play to Tim McVeigh? Uh, no, I think I had I had switched channels by then. <laughs> so this play, oh my gosh, this was the most. I wish I, sh- I, wish I had it for a highlight reel that I put together, but I, I kind of forgot about it. So fourth and one, they just had to pass. Okay, sure, why not? You know what I mean? Why, go for it. Something different. You're mm-hmm. down 14-0. You know possessions are minimal, so a field goal does nothing for you. 14-3, it's like whatever. He, uh, um, sorry, um, start of the fourth quarter. Uh, Worthman, sorry, I was going to say Nate Romine, but no, Worthman. This little play action, the pressure's on. He runs, skirts around, does like a big old half loop, horseshoe size on the field loop to turn around, and then just chucks it. It was far enough, like not in the end zone, but it would have been like a maybe a five-yard game kind of floater. Uh, McVeigh tried to dive to get it, falls through his hands. It was like the weirdest pass play ever where he chucks it for like five yards after going like 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage being chased. Mm-hmm. And so that was their chance. They drove down the field. How they got a touchdown there, maybe things would have been different, but then Army goes down and scores a touchdown and wraps up the game 21 zip. There was no coming back from that when you're down. Even 14-0, it seemed tough, but that was their chance to get into the end zone. And they, they didn't get done, and now they lose. Now they're out of the Commander-in-Chief trophy officially. And they're sitting at four and five. And if they want a bowl game, they need to uh, win two of the last three. And they got to host Wyoming, which is looking better at Boise, which is looking really good than hosting Utah State. Who we'll see. You know what I mean? Aggies are hit or miss this year. Yeah, I mean they just didn't look characteristically disciplined overall. Um, you know, there was one drive late. It was actually their last drive before halftime, I believe where you know they're driving they're at about midfield on a second and eight and they get called for intentional grounding oh and yeah so, the uh halfback pass or something right wasn't that what it was 
I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, they, they from 2nd and 8 at the Army 48, they move backwards to their own 34. You know, Whoops. because they have the intentional grounding, and then Arian Workman fumbles on 3rd and 14. And then when they set up to punt, they take a delay of game, and so Eesh. they basically go backwards at that point. But then, you know, even more than that, there was, you know, earlier in this, I believe it was in the second quarter, there was one, I think it was the first down play where they're at midfield right around. And if Worthman hits Ryan Reffitt down the seam, it's an easy six points because, you know, the tight end had gotten behind the coverage and he just overthrew him. And, you know, it's, you know, the big things that didn't help, you know, like the third down you know, troubles that they had. But it was those like little opportunities that don't always show up on the score sheet that ultimately made a difference in this game as well. So what what do you think their chances are making a bowl game now? Because had they beat Army, they've been five and four, just need one victory. What do you say their chances are again? They're hosting Wyoming, hosting Utah State, and travel to Boise. Who they have beat? Remember they have beaten Boise two years in a row. I don't know because I mean I would have thought that. I mean, I still feel like they're probably the most unpredictable team in the division, if only because I still think they're extremely dangerous. Like, I feel like for as well as Army played that this was more of an outlier than anything, because, you know, if they can win out, that puts them at, what, 7-5? and five? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, if, if they can get some help from, let's say, Fresno State in the last week of the season it's still not out of the realm of possibility that they can sneak up and win the division. Like they still have plenty of things to play for. Yeah. Because if they beat Boise and Fresno beats Boise, both of those teams have two losses and there's an outside chance that the Falcons can, can steal the mountain division. You know, if they can beat Wyoming too, like, you know, they'll have the tiebreaker on them as well. So I guess if I had to put it on a scale of one to a hundred, just to get to six wins, I would put it at, I don't know, 30%. Because we know Wyoming is a pretty good team. We know that they can play a little defensively. You know, we know Fresno State's pretty good against the run. And we, you know, we'll talk more about Boise in a minute. But, you know, they seem to have had their number. But Boise's kind of playing on a different level right now. So we'll have, mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and see. Two quick notes before we move on. Right now, FBI... Um, Air Force has a 53.9% chance to beat Wyoming, only 16% to beat Boise, 63% chance to beat Utah State. And right now, the early line is out. They have Air Force by a field goal at home over Wyoming. So they're basically even. Yeah. So Interesting. It's a, there's a decent chance. So, all right, let's move on to the next game here. we got to kind of hustle through. we got a bunch of these here. What's next? Uh, Utah State, New Mexico, where fumbles rude the day? Where nobody seemed to want to win this game. But yet Utah State won by two touchdowns, twenty-four to ten. Is it? I mean, is it me, or is it kind of a miracle that Utah State got to twenty-four points? It is. They're like Jordan Love. We we were correct predicting that they he would be the quarterback. He had an interception, but you're right. Like look at what they did offensively. Like, they didn't run the ball very well. They only had what two hundred and fifty total yards offensively. Yeah, I mean, some of that had to do with the fact that they only ran 48 plays compared to New Mexico, which ran 79 <laughs> plays. Well, part of it, too, those four fumbles that they were um, – all those fumbles they lost in yeah. the short field. So, But, well, yes and no, because you get four – where were they, plus – was it only four? Yeah, four, so they're plus four in the turnover or plus three. The amount of plays is surprising. That hurts you for if you're going for total yards, if you like that stat. But when you're getting shorter fields – 
But Utah State, like, I joked in one of my – I did a top six plays of the weekend. Like, Utah State had a long running place. I put that high with LaJuan Hunt's 65-yarder. But they were not impressive moving the ball at all because, again, take away that big running play, they have, like, 50, 60 yards rushing the ball. Mm-hmm. They did it in 114 passing. And then, again, look at that. They had 131-yarder to run Quavian Tarver. So, like, take away those two big plays. That's, like, half their offense, 96 yards in two plays. And they had, what, two – if my math's right, two uh, 33. Is that something like that? Yeah, sounds about right. That's ridiculous. Two plays accounted for half your offense. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I – and when you look at some of these other numbers, too, like, obviously the turnovers are the big story. But, you know, it, New Mexico held a, a fairly sizable advantage in, in being able to move the chains as well. Like, they were 6 of 17 on third downs. Utah State was just 2 of 11. Neither are good. <laughs> and, it, and it, I mean, yeah, I mean, 6 of 17 is not great. It's passable, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. But Utah State was just, like, putting themselves constantly in third and long or third and mid, and they just weren't doing anything. And a lot of that comes down to Jordan Love, who – you know, we had questions. I think I was a little more dubious about whether he would make a difference. And, like, when you look at what he was able to do on third downs especially, like, he was only 4 of 10 on throwing on third downs. He only converted two third downs on the entire day. It's just, you know, kind of an ugly game. I mean, a, a win is a win, and I'm sure Utah State mm-hmm. fans aren't complaining too much. They're five and five, yeah. That's true. But well, actually, like, it depends. It depends how much you like Matt Wells. <laughs> that's true. I mean, but I just like this game doesn't make me feel any better about the offense as a whole. I guess that's what I'm saying. No, defense is okay. They had the fumble recovery for a touchdown. They were actually sorry, they were plus two overall because Utah State had a fumble, but he forced four fumbles, and that's what this defense does. I think they're now at um, shit on in front of me, but was that make them now twenty four takeaways on the year? I believe. Uh, something give, give me a moment and I will look that up. Something ridiculous. I know they're they've been way better than last year where they're plus ten, but like the offense isn't going to get them any games. Yeah, Lawan Hunt had 117 two scores, but again that one super long run. But then look at the Lobos; their offense wasn't that great. Jordan led the way rushing. Tyron Owens only had 44 yards. They went to the uh, they played Tuiati and Lamar Jordan, so I don't know what they're doing at quarterback right now. They threw 22 freaking times. That's too much for this team. But I guess if the running game's not working, you got to – I don't know. You got to – they ran so – I don't know. It's just – the slow team's not the same. I guess missing Tyrone Owens and stuff like that really hurt them. Well, I mean, not only that, but, you know, we talked a little bit on Twitter yesterday about how they just weren't getting the explosive plays that made them so dangerous last year. Yeah. It Because, you know, before halftime when it was still rather competitive, like they only had one run – of more than 10 yards. They ended up with six overall on the day, but that was mostly when they were playing catch up. You know, they had, I think three on one drive in the third quarter. And I'm trying to see what they actually did in that drive. I think they ended up kicking a field goal that they missed. So (laughs) good job. So it wasn't just turnovers. Like, you know, they had these opportunities. They were creating some plays late and they just weren't, you know, taking full, full advantage of that. I don't know that at this point in the season that there's any real easy fix for that. It's hard. Like, they've had the past four or five years, four years or so, just big play after big play, but they're sitting at three and six. The odds of making the bowl game are extremely slim. <laughs> but after Utah State, let's just stick with them before I wrap up here. They're five and five. They need one victory. 
they play. They have two games left because they uh, have a bye this week, and then they play Hawaii, and then go to Air Force. I think they could win both. Of the, well, I think they could win one of those games. I think Hawaii is the best chance to win. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about the Warriors in a minute. They just they haven't looked like quite the same team that they were in the first month of the season in the last couple of weeks. So if I had to, if I had to put money on the Aggies winning one of those two games, I would pick them holding serve at home for sure. Exactly, I would agree. And right now, FPI agrees with you: eighty-six percent chance to beat Hawaii, a decent thirty-seven percent chance to beat up on uh, Air Force there. So let's move on. Let's, there's nothing more to talk about this game. We don't need to drag every game out for 20 minutes. So let's move on to what do you want to talk about next? Is uh, Hawaii UNLV, I guess? The yeah, 31, let's, tw- let's do that. 31-23 victory for the Rebels, who um, did have Armani Rogers appear in this game. He was cleared to practice, as we mentioned. We weren't sure if he'd play. Uh, it was him and Johnny Stanton, who, again, two weeks ago was playing linebacker. Had the hot hand in at halftime. Um, Coach uh, Tony Sanchez mentioned, well, we won't stand because he was doing better. And I'm glad they made a decision. Like some teams in this conference go back and forth, back and forth. They stuck with Stanton for the second half, and he looked pretty good. He ended up with a 18-26, which is really good, a pair of touchdowns. Running game looked pretty well with Lexington Thomas, and Stanton had a rushing touchdown. So he looks to be the guy who I don't know what they'll do with Rodgers, if they're going to stick with Stanton because David Deason shot to make a bowl game as well in there. We'll get into it in a minute. There's still a there's a scenario where they cannot – Un, not it's out there, but not extremely out there where they could still win the division at the West. But Stan looked pretty good as Hawaii defense in Hawaii. I think with Hawaii, while Drew Brown had 269 yards, did you see he threw 47 times? Uh, yes, I did. That's a lot. It is, and you know they did have you know manage a, a couple of big plays like Keelan Iwaliko, excuse me had a 37-yard catch that I believe set up a score of some kind. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, they I had three, sti- three but big I plays, yeah. I still feel like they had, there's a hangover effect from losing Ursua because, yeah, he threw for he threw 47 times, but he really only completed 50% of his passes, which is you know a little bit below where you would expect him to be. And I think that, you know, throwing the ball over the field against this UNLV secondary isn't the worst idea in the world. They just weren't able to take full advantage of that. Yeah, it's uh, – I think you're right. It's like like the, running the ball, they did fine. Like, St. Juice had 111 yards, not bad. Like, the yardage was there, but Dylan Colley looks to be the guy to step up. Like, they had three guys over 50 yards, which is pretty good. But they're just uh, – or Sue is just like a once in a – he's an all-conference wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a guy where – you miss it. It's like, what if Colorado State miss? How does that Michael Gallup or Keyshawn Johnson, Fresno, or Cedric Wilson, Boise State? Those are all huge losses, and there's nobody who can replicate that performance or production. And so well, you got to give, so give credit to UNLV, but there's just, um, you're, Ursula had two 200 yard games before the season ended for him with that knee injury. Well, and here's the other thing, too. Um, there were those two field goal drives that Hawaii had late in the first half where they were moving the ball fairly well. Like, they got to the the UNLV 14 and the UNLV 21, but they had to settle for three instead of Mm -hmm. seven. And when you consider that, you know, UNLV, basically every time they went to – every time they got into the red zone, they basically punched it in for six, accepting their last touchdown – or field goal drive, rather. Which is a little bit different for the Rebels. Normally they settle for field goals. Yeah, so – 
you know, I don't nec- I don't think there's necessarily blame to place anywhere on that, but that's one of those things where, you know, UNLV struggled at times to, you know, punch it in for six and have, having to settle for three. In this particular game, you kind of saw the opposite, where the offense was able to maximize its opportunities. And, you know, when you consider the difference between three and six, that's basically the margin in this game. Yeah, well, they actually had three field goals in the red zone they kicked. They had that one late in the yeah. game, too. And then also, don't yeah. forget the fumble recovery on the kickoff for UNLV scored a touchdown on a quick 10-play, three-minute drive. They recovered the kickoff and scored again to go up. Instead of being 21-13, um, Hawaii had the ball 28-13 in that third quarter was the difference, 21 points. They scored on three straight possessions for UNLV yeah. in the fumble recovery, and that's kind of the difference in the game. you got to protect the ball and like give credit to Hawaii for responding with the touchdown and then holding them to a field goal, the UNLV after that, but... Again, you get to the one of the field goals was a ten yard to the ten yard line. Were they all three? They were all three red zone field goals, correct? Yeah, well, um, twenty one. Technically, from twenty one. Okay, you get enough. one touch. Here's the thing: you get one or two touchdowns. Like get a touchdown on one of those, that makes a difference in the game. You, who knows which touchdown it was? But three field goals, you're that close. That's where you miss Ursua, who's a receiver who can catch those things in the end zone. So. It's uh, just got to – they couldn't finish drives, and that's a big thing when they're going 49% completion with Drew Brown. And Rebels' defense is pretty – they're shown to be good. They, they shut down Fresno State and beat them on the ground game. They've been doing quite well, but this is a Hawaii team where you got to get your chances. Like, we harped on UNLV, and they played Howard and other teams, and even Fresno where they started off with multiple field goals. They came back and got the victory in, in one of those games, but finishing drives, that's what you got to do. If you want to be a good team, you can't just stutter at the 10-yard line. Yeah, and I mean, beyond that, too, like, I think that, is this team starting to turn a corner a little bit? Because... Rebels, you, you know, mean? We, we talk, yeah, because we've talked a lot about Devontae Boyd, but it was really Brandon Presley who's continued to impress in a lot of, you know, a lot the same way that he's done in the last month. I think this was his career high in, in receiving yardage. He had four catches for 95 yards, including that really nice catch and run on a slant that was, mm-hmm. you know... Once he had it, he was off to the races on that. But, you know, this was probably a better game played by the secondary than it, you know, than the upset that they had versus Fresno State. Because if you look at the pass breakups, especially, you know, Jericho Flowers had 10 tackles, but he also had three pass breakups and he forced a fumble. Robert Jackson had a couple pass breakups. Dalton Baker had a pass breakup. I think you're starting to see a little something in, in the kind of caliber defense this could be in the long run. You know, it was, just, it was a vulnerable offense, and they did have some, you know, Hawaii does still have some playmakers. Like, we can't forget that St. Juiced did go for over 100 yards in a score. But I feel like UNLV is finally starting to, like, to, to be the kind of team that they could be in a year or two. Like, they're starting to show a little more consistency their defense is playing a lot better in the last couple of weeks than they were earlier in the season. And I feel like there's a lot of encouragement if you're a Rebels fan. There should be. I'm wondering, you mentioned Devontae Boyd. I know him and Armani Rogers hooked up quite a bit. He did get banged up a couple weeks ago. I think the same week he had a concussion for Rogers. So I wonder if that maybe is still hindering because he sat out for at least a quarter plus or at least a quarter in that game. So who knows if that's the case. But here's a quick note real quick from our good buddy Tyler Bischoff. Um, how UNLV can win the West Division. Tell You told me if this is extremely far-fetched or not. They need to um, beat New Mexico and Nevada. I think mm-hmm. that's possible, right? 
Here's where it gets tricky. Well, I'll go. Yeah. Well, there's that's possible. Then you have uh, Fresno State losing to Hawaii and Boise State or Wyoming. So I'm like, okay. I don't know if they'll lose. To, I don't know if they'll lose to Hawaii, but I could see Fresno losing to Boise or Wyoming. That's possible. Here's where it gets real far fetched. Okay. Um, San Diego State losing to Nevada. I don't see that happening. Yeah, <laughs> that's asking a lot right there. That's um, the one that gets you. That's the one. I have no idea if that's going to happen, but probably not. Probably not. I know Nevada has potential score points, not as much last week, but not against that San Diego State defense, which is probably them and Boise defense are in the same neighborhood, and so Boise held them pretty well. So, But bowl eligibility seems likely for Rebel. Well, may, Here's the thing, man. You beat Howard, you don't have to worry about this garbage. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. Who's <laughs> to Howard? Yeah. I, they, yeah. Because they host BYU Friday night. I think they can beat BYU, who has a backup quarterback now, and we'll talk about that in the Fresno game. And then they also have, really quick, um, as we'll move on here, as the other two games we mentioned, at New Mexico, I, that's a maybe because, like I said, Lobos are inconsistent up and down. At Nevada, which, if that Nevada team scores points, maybe. But I, I, I'd see, I could see uh, UNLV getting a bowl game, getting the six victories on the year. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, if they keep playing the same way that they played the last couple of weeks – you know, this is a team I think that's starting, like I said, they're starting to grow into themselves a little bit. And so I I don't think it's unlikely to say that they could, you know, run the table from here on out. Ooh. All right. Did you know right now, really quick, when they host BYU, they're a four-point favorite at the moment? That sounds about right. That can't make BYU fans happy, but I don't think anything can. I think they're waiting for basketball or something. <laughs> Uh, all right, next game. What do you, what do you want to go next? What's uh, next on your lineup here? Let's well, let's let's talk about Boise State, Nevada. Do we need to make amends or do I or something? Is that how this works? Well, we can start there. <laughs> okay. I, I I don't I don't think okay. I'm not gonna. It's not gonna be like a backhand a compliment. We said Boise State's been good, and we said last week the October we saw them have is what we thought they'd be all year. We both said that. Not just you. It was me as well. Where they've been playing much better. Here's the thing, though. Nevada's been just putting up points. I know I know CSU's defense isn't very good. Air Force defense isn't great. But they've been putting up 100, 100 points in three games. I could, I would assume they could cover 22 points or whatever the spread was. And so they did it, and it happens. Like, come on. What do you want from me? I know Boise's really good, but I thought Nevada could find some holes because Boise State's defense a few times this year have given up points. Like UVA, Washington State. So I kind of figured with what Washington State does, Nevada's sort of similar in scheme wise. That that they can keep it close, but that Nevada defense is just awful. I think when when you consider the opponent, you know, we, we talked a lot about strengths versus strengths coming into this game, which is why I thought that Nevada would be able to, you know, create a few more plays than they actually did. I feel like when you consider the opponent when you consider what Nevada has been able to do, especially in the last few weeks in conference play, this is the best performance that Boise State's secondary has put up all year long. Yeah. Because, you know, they, you know, Ty Ganji did complete, you know, 24 of 37, but, you know, they created three, inter- you know, three interceptions, which is not something that a lot of teams have been able to do in conference play. I think that he came into the game having thrown only four interceptions in the previous four games. So that's a huge credit to Nevada, you know, to force him 
into you know to bad throws like the I believe the Kekoa Nawahini interception especially was not a great decision on Ganji's part but you know Tyler Horton who we haven't really talked about a lot this year you know showed up and made an interception and you know the guys who were the starting corner now DeAndre Pierce and Avery Williams like they both stepped up and they basically held this offense in check you know I think it kind of surprised me a little bit, at least, to see that Kelton Moore was the first guy to run for 100 yards against this defense all year long. Whoa. But when you consider what this offense really wants to do, they want to throw the ball. They want, like, the deep strike. And so when you're talking about basically holding Nevada to two plays of more than 15 yards through the air, that's a huge win for them. Like, this is like a this was a statement, I think, to the rest of the conference. Yeah, they are like they're the best team, and like we said it last week, our power pool said that as well. They've been the best team since well, past couple weeks since CSU started struggling because we started questioning them when they give ball those points to Nevada. Like, well, are they really that good? Is that what's going on? But they struggle. Boise has not. And then really quick, I'm hoping. Um, I think the CFB stats they should have updated. Um, oh, it is correct. Okay, so I was checking something here because you mentioned how the Boise secondary the uh, interceptions. So I went to go look about about what they had on pass breakups or um, defended passes. Mm-hmm. So they lead, they lead the conference and passed um, passes defended with 46 mm-hmm. and also broke passes uh, broken up, so PBUs. So I'm like, all right, how does this work on a per-game basis? They had zero pass breakups and zero pass defended in this Nevada game, which is the only time all year that happened. I know they did three picks, which makes up for a PBU, but out of every game they had, this was the first game they didn't have any. Just, just that is a little unusual. It is interesting. And I checked I checked CFB stats. I'm checking right now over at Stat Broadcast, the official stats, just to make sure no breakups, um, just interceptions, no PBUs, or even no QB hurry. So I'm like, all right, I just want to double check, but that's kind of a just an interesting note. So I'm like, okay. Well, and, and more than that, like I think that we both expected Boise State to – you know, create big plays of their own against against a Nevada defense that charitably still a work in progress. But you know, this is you know, this was basically the Brett Rippon show. Like he continued to have the hot hand with you know 2027, 20, 258 yards, two scores, and you know he even caught a pretty impressive looking pass as well. He yeah he did. So it's uh he this is the Brett Rippon we wanted all year like. Here's the thing. Cedric Wilson had more passing yards than Montel Cozart. So that tells you mm-hmm. something. Two of two. But yeah, two touchdowns, 250 yards. Just like take away the two other quarterbacks. You'd figured, okay, good game. They threw for 339 overall. But I maybe it's like what we mentioned last week that maybe he's finally understanding their role where, or maybe the coaches as well. Everybody's finally on the same page that here's when Rippett's going to play. Here's when Cozart's going to play. And they finally realize when they come out, it's not like it was versus Troy or other games where they're coming in and out at various points. They're coming in at strategic times and typically Kozart's coming in when he gets closer to the end zone mm-hmm. and, ma- and they figured out like okay they're not worried okay they know they're coming out and they'll get their chance back in I think that's part of it too they figured out where they're going to be on the field and when and why they're coming in or coming out yeah and then also really quick it was just, it was just the first half 31-14 game wasn't really that close at that point Boise just cruised in the second half and their defense smothered Nevada for the victory well, and, and one other note that I think we should make a note of, like Nevada's had a lot of issues to work on the defensive side of the ball, but you know they also lost to Sony Rufus in this game, which I don't Saw think is going to help matters. Like I, he, I believe he broke his leg and he's going to miss Ooh. the rest of the year, according to 
Chris Murray over at the Reno Gazette Journal. Just, you know, it's a, you know, it's, I, I don't want to say it's a pun or anything like that, but it's just a bad break for a unit that I think really needed him to contribute. It's, yeah, he, he's one of their athletes. And I saw him getting carted off the field. I don't remember what happened. I just knew it was a leg injury, but broken leg, that's tough. And also, one other one last note, I guess I'll do one more after your one more. The um, okay. Nevada rushing, rushing attack held Boise pretty low. They had the touchdowns, but no really big plays. And Madison only had 64 yards. Three touchdowns, but like compared to what Boise's been doing and what Nevada's been giving up, that's kind of surprising a little bit. Yeah, yes and no. Like they, they didn't necessarily blow the doors off of Nevada on the ground. But, you know, he was pretty steady. Like, you know, Madison didn't ha- – he only had 64 yards, but he did average five yards <laughs> carry. So, you know, he did have a couple of nice runs. It wasn't, you know, the best performance he's had in the last month, but I think he still did obviously more than enough to be a difference in this game. So, all right, is ready, ready to move on to the next one? Yeah, next uh, matchup? All right, so what's next? Is it the uh, sorry, my Fresno game, or we still got a few more in between here? Well, let's, okay, we got to talk about the border war. Oh, that's right. Sorry, snowball, snow game, snow. Yeah, snow. I love snow football. It's the best. There's no, nothing beats it. And then this game like started off with wind, heavy rain, and then thick snow in the second half. And then there's always the little side note. This is the first time in eight years, outside of at any time, they had to snow the sidelines or not sideline, but the uh, yard lines. In almost a decade. I'm like, okay, that's cool, but there was a snow. (laughs) Go ahead. I was just going to say, Colorado State fans, not happy. They should not be happy. This game was terrible. Because, I I mean, I'm just looking at not even just the the team, but, like, the the writers who cover the team seem to be not happy either. Dude, they're always salty. No, they're always up. They have always something in their crawl. I don't care. They always seem to have something going on. No, I mean, I think it's just in this particular instance, like, I feel like it's really telling somehow. Because, like, Mike Brohart, for instance, who writes for the Loveland Reporter Herald, uh. and, uh, you know, Colorado State football has big game shortcomings. You know, that's something that, you know, more than yeah, one yeah. writer mm-hmm. for the team has covered in the last few teams or last few weeks. You know, because, yes, this was another rivalry game loss for the Rams. But, like, did you see this headline from Kelly Lytle at the Colorado one? Oh, what did he go with? CSU football proves too soft to be a champion. And I'm like, damn, son. (laughs) Because, I mean, yes, they they lost this game. But, I mean, didn't this offense, or this defense, rather, do basically everything it could do to win this game? Like, would you you agree or disagree? Yeah, you know what I blame on this game, honestly? Like... Who's their Who's their OC? Who's the OC there? Uh, Will Who, Friend. Is he calling the plays, or is, or is uh, Mike Bobo calling the plays? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. They were throwing the. They were. They did not throw the ball. I don't know what the deal was. They were not. Okay, Nick Stevens, still my opinion, best quarterback of the conference. I could. I think he's played that well for, the, for the most of the year. Not this game, obviously, but overall, I'd still put him at the number one. Rippard's coming on close a little bit. Allen's gotten a little better, but. There were times like fourth and eight. Let's run the ball. Why were they not getting the ball? Like every time the announcers, let's get Michael like more than two or three in the snow situation. Get Michael Gallup on a quick uh, bubble screen or quick uh, wide receiver quick pass. Let's see what he can do in open field. They were not throwing the ball one bit. There was like a fourth and eight. They had like third and eight, fourth and eight. They decided to run the ball. I know it was too long for a field goal because the conditions, but 
they were they did not throw the ball. And I know Wyoming's defense is good, but there were situations where they just didn't even try to throw the ball. Like third and eight, okay, I get it. You're not, they figured we're probably not going to kick a field goal no matter what. Let's get maybe four yards, get something fourth manageable. This is I forget what quarter this was, but second half clearly the snow. But fourth and seven, they run the ball like two yards. Why were they running the ball every single time? Pass the ball. You have the best receiver in the conference. Get him the ball in space right away. See what he can do. He only had four passes for 29 yards. Get him the ball. That was my main issue. They just did not try to throw the ball in the second half one bit. I mean, I don't know about, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate because if you, if you look at the drive chart, you know, there was fourth and nine late in the third quarter where oddly enough, it was 14 plays, 44 yards, time of possession, nine minutes. (laughs) But, you know, it was fourth and eight. They're at the Wyoming 28 and they do throw the ball. And they completed to Warren Jackson for yeah, that guy was wide open. Okay, there's one example. That guy's wide open, but why on fourth and eleven? They, the next well, position... it was fourth. It was fourth and eight. I didn't no, know no, if that's what you were referring to. No, no, the one after that. No, no, I got that one. I remember that pass. Jackson was super open, but then four plays later, fourth and eleven at sixteen. I you're, it's ten to nine. Maybe I got my two plays mixed up here, but can you? Can, why not? Is that a good enough for a field goal? They had loss of nine on that play. On a run. Like, I, I think that was a running play, wasn't it? I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. Whatever it was, it's like four, you're at the 16-yard line, you're down one, or you're up one, excuse me. Why not kick a field goal there? I mean, in retrospect, that's probably the biggest what-if in this game because on the very next drive, going into the fourth quarter, yeah, kick a field you know, they, goal. <laughs> get to, they get to the Wyoming 9, they stall, they kick a field goal to go up 13-9. to nine. And... You know, if they had those well, they, three points, going, we're having well, a totally different... Well, and then just... bump, they forced a fumble the next play again. They go six plays. They get to the 35. Maybe this is the one I'm referring to. Thirty. Here's the one I'm looking at. They get the fumble. They're 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 down three. Or excuse me, they're up four. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong draft chart. They give it to Rashard Bodie, who's... How many carries did they have in this game? Not many. They give it to him on fourth and six. Pass the ball. Fourth and six. Pass the ball. I know people may not expect the run to happen, but... Pass the ball. So here's why I think... Uh, Here's what I think. I think that for the most part in this game, you know, especially when the snow was coming down, you know, the running game was really what led them, you know, it helped them keep the ball, first of all, more often than not. And Dalen Dawkins was really the guy who carried the offense in this game. Like, he had over 150 yards. He averaged five yards a carry. And when you look at the play-by-play in that second half, you could see he was, you know, fairly consistent as far as moving the ball. You know, especially on that drive leading up to that play, you know, first and 10 at midfield, he runs for seven yards, and then he runs for three yards to convert a first down. You know, maybe if they get a few more yards on first and second down as opposed to throwing, you know, mm-hmm. they, that incomplete pass to Dedrick Clark. Maybe they just needed to keep leaning on that running game because to that point, I think it had been working more often than not. You know, that was basically what enabled them to put together a 69-yard drive for that field goal, which preceded it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you could look at any number of decisions and kind of second-guess it. But I think it just, you know, it just seemed to me like the obvious passing it, plays was not the like, – maybe maybe I'm just looking at those particular plays, but when it's fourth and eight, fourth and six, pass the ball. Like, and then also – well, not I'll let you finish up here, but 
you give it. You say Dawkins, Dawkins, Dawkins. Why they give it to Body on fourth and six? Give it to your guy on fourth down. Why are you going to the third string running back? I think it's because we know that Rashad Body is a, their big physical guy. Like yeah, I but think it's if, fourth and six. Big, it's not fourth and one. It's fourth and six. That's true. I just you know what I think because especially when the snow began to fall in the second half. It seemed like Colorado State had a lot of success just attacking Wyoming right up the gut. And so, you know, fourth and six may seem a little long for a running attempt, but I think that's what they had in mind, is just being able to, you know, get to the second level against a Wyoming front four that, you know, had some successes in the game, but you know, also was getting pushed around a little bit in the second half. So I think they were counting. He was, they were counting on the offensive line to come through and create a hole, and it just didn't work out that way. It, it's true, yeah. But I just again, I don't know. I just think like Nick Stevens, he's a great quarterback. But then, like you're right, the defense for Colorado State they shut down a well. while. I mean, like outside that last drive, like in the fourth quarter, obviously that was the only touchdown they have while well, we had in the game. They went a nice seven yard. Seven, excuse me, seven play drive. They actually had Overstreet score on the on the ground and ran a little bit. There's also the uh, face mask penalty that helped them as well. That 15 yards. And it's and it, there's just a defense did all they could. It's just they finally had enough and couldn't get it done. Like not to blame the Rams defense, but look at the second half. They hold them to a, a field goal, punt on three plays, fumble two plays, and then that seven seven play touchdown drive. So they did what they wanted to, and then the one last drive they had. Fourth and seven, or why do they punt, man? Why not go for it? I don't know. I know they're deep, but you're down. I don't. Whatever. Maybe they, that's probably extreme to go for it. But when you got four minutes left, maybe go for it in that fourth and seven, deep in your own territory. Well, I mean, you know, the other thing that I think you're kind of overlooking a little bit, which enabled Wyoming to kind of turn things around a little bit. Josh Allen wasn't great throwing the football again in this game. He was only ten of twenty. Nope. But you saw what they did with him in the fourth quarter, especially, right? Run the ball? They basically gave it to him and told him to run. Win the game for us? Yeah, let's do that. Let's win the game for me, folks. And this is, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, I'm not, I don't talk about it directly when I talk about the raw tools that Allen has. But, you know, you've got a guy who's big and fast and strong. And essentially what they were doing is they were just running quarterback draws. Or, you know, the kind of, you know, like, I don't want to call it a rollout. I forget what exactly you call like it. Like a veer, kind of a veer a little bit. Yeah, the kind of thing that you would see in Tecmo Super Bowl or something like that, where I, I always played with the Denver Broncos back in the day because John Elway had that play in the Denver yeah. playbook. Where you just, you know, you have a couple of lead blockers and you're just running around the right side. And that's essentially what they did in the fourth quarter to convert a couple of really crucial plays. And then, you know, between that and Overstreet, you know, not necessarily breaking big runs of being able to convert when they needed him to you know, keep them on schedule. That was really the, the big difference in this game. There's that too. It's, I don't know, it just seemed to, I, I know the Wyoming, I said it before, but Wyoming defense is good, but I would just expect to put more from Nick Stevens. Again, he only threw the ball 14 times. Like he should be throwing more than that. I'll just, I'll, I, I know, I understand your points are being made. Like they're running the ball well. Wyoming's defense couldn't slow down the rush attack from Dawkins, but you got there more than 14 times. I feel like other than the weather, this game played out more or less like I thought it would. I thought there'd be more points, though. I, I thought 29 was a bit low. But, again, that could be the snow a little bit and the rain mm-hmm. and the wind in that first – oh, the whole game, actually. But 
This puts, um, like, somebody want, well, we'll get to one more game. We'll get to the divisional stuff. We have one final game. We got your game, Fresno State, BYU. We have a couple more games. Oh, we do? Crap. We got to hurry up things. I told Eli I'm going to be ready for basketball in a minute. What's the other games I'm missing here? I don't have my – I need to well, pull up my okay, schedule so again. Do we, do we really <laughs> need to talk about San Diego State, San Jose State that much? Um, For about 10 seconds. What was the final score, Matt? It was 52-7. to 7. They ran for 554 yards. They ran for about eight yards a carry. Good, uh, good. Rashad Penny had 234 yards on 20 carries and three touchdowns. Juwan Washington had his biggest game of the year, 134 yards and two touchdowns. And they even got the redshirt freshman Chase Jasmine in the mix. You're going to be seeing a lot more of him, I would assume, down the stretch a little bit. He ran for 82 yards and a score. You know, Christian Chapman threw the ball five times, but he threw it for 77 yards and a score. Right, <laughs> Agnew like, appearance. It was basically almost exactly what you would expect of this of this game. It was pretty ugly. Almost 70, 71 rushing attempts. Yeah, I forget the exact tweet, but they were saying like in the second half, they had like the second string offensive line in. They had the, the third and fourth string running backs. They had, you know, the third and fourth string receivers. And it just didn't matter. San Jose State couldn't stop them. We do need to give a little bit of credit to Frank Ginda, who had 16 tackles and two and a half TFLs. That's true. And a sack. And then also 16 from Tyson, or excuse me, Tyson Parker. But I think that's all we need to say about this game. This if is the second time also Penny had 230 plus yards in, on the ground. You came, and, close. you came close to your prediction. 250. Though. I said 250. I was right there. Yeah. You were you're almost, yeah. Almost. So close. And also real quick, Penny has 3,000 career rushing yards. So that's pretty good too. All right, last All right. game. Now we're ready for your Fresno State um, BYU matchup. I do like. Um, did you like the tweet Doctor Saturday sent out saying after the victory they're in first place still in the West Division? <laughs> it's like, well, I would kind of yeah, hope so. Yeah, I, unless somehow I know BYU's playing half the conference, but still. And then there was that interception to end the game, which I think that was appropriate for the best play of the week, the uh, interception to at midfield to clinch bowl eligibility. So I put that number one. That was a fumble, actually, but yeah. Oh, it was the one that went to midfield, or that? Yeah, it was. A, it was a fumble forced by Jeffrey Allison and picked up by Mike Bell. Oh, I thought it was a, a pass, like when BYU was in their end zone and they kind of threw it. Nope, that was a fumble. How did I miss? Okay, or, or I, are you talking about the interception that was called back by a penalty? Maybe that's what it was. Crap, that was the wrong play for number one. <laughs> you might, yeah. I, I mean, just saw the was, pick. I'm like, that looks pretty cool. That's a good it, play. At the end of the game. <laughs> it wasn't a perfect game for the Bulldogs, like. It, it was, was too close. Too close for me. I mean, for me, watching the game, it seemed very similar to last week's game against UNLV, where, you know, BYU was able to make a few plays. They weren't quite as consistent driving the football. They, you know, they had a few, you know, their scoring drives essentially in the middle of the game were kind of the equivalent of UNLV's first quarter last week. But... I think what this game ultimately came down to was the fact that the secondary, you know, they they didn't have any interceptions, but they came very close a few times. You know, there was, I'm trying to remember, you know, Jaron Bryant obviously had the one that was called back, um, the pick six that was called back by, I believe it was a pass interference penalty or something like that. You know, that was one, but, you know, they had two or three more throws from not only Tanner Mangum, but um, Bo Hodge, that were very close to being picked off. And so to me, it seemed like only a matter of time before they got back to creating more turnovers. So even though they only had the one, 
which more or less clinched the victory for the Bulldogs. You know, you could see that the secondary was basically back in form, especially once Mangum left. Like, I don't know if we have any kind of update on his status. Yeah, right he's out, he's out for the year Achilles injury. Achilles, so he's not, yeah. So he's out for the last, uh, when they play UNLV in Hawaii, he's done. Yeah, because if you if didn't see it, he basically went down. There was no contact whatsoever. Well, twice. Wasn't the first quarter or first half a hit, though, I think? Yeah, the first time he got hit pretty hard, and he, he came out for a little bit before coming back. But then the Achilles thing, like, there was nobody around him. He just fell. Ouch. But, you know, they did have a little bit of trouble stopping Matt Bushman, who had his best game of the year for BYU, nine catches on 10 targets for 97 yards. But, I mean, for the most part... You know, the defense kind of played the game that I expected them to. Like, they didn't give up that many big plays. The offense had, you know, some bits and starts. You know, McMarion had a really excellent 50-yard strike to Jameer Jordan that set up a score. Um, but mostly, you know, they he didn't make any bad decisions, I don't think. You know, he didn't have that many big plays, but he was mostly taking what the defense was giving to him. Yeah, 14 to 20, not pretty efficient there. Yeah, he didn't have the same problem that Man- Mangum and Hodge did, where you know he was throwing throw he was throwing passes that could be picked off. So I think that's a credit to him. It wasn't the most exciting offensive performance outside of those couple of big plays, but you know it, it got the job done. And they didn't forget about the running game in the fourth quarter this time around, where Josh Hokett, who ended up leading the team with 59 yards on the ground, was more or less the guy to to put things away late. And so. Yeah. You know, the offense still probably has some work to do. The defense is still among the best in the conference. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, are they top 30 defense, Matt? <laughs> I kind of think they are, yeah. I mean, they're certainly playing like it, like yard by yards per play. I think they're in the top 20 at this point. But They are number 20 at 479. Yeah. So... You know, it's they're bowl eligible, and you know I think BYU may have shot themselves in the foot a little bit because there was the last fourth down play that they had. It was fourth and one, I believe, where they were trying to. I'm, I'm trying to look this up so I make sure I have it correct. It was what was it? It was fourth and one at the Fresno just, State 26, mm-hmm. and they let Hodge throw. <laughs> <laughs> throwing that's cute and, and i have and, no, and and not to matt bushman as well yeah and I, so i have no idea why they did that because to that point he was only two of eight he ended up finishing three of ten and the bulk of that yardage came on exactly one pass but you know i'm not when did squall yeah <laughs> and they had like in squally canada squally canada was running pretty well he had about 80 80 yards so there's a why not give it to him he only needs yard he's been doing reasonably well Exactly, and then BYU gets one last chance. Like I guess seven seconds, not really, but the fu- I guess that's to play the fumble. But still, it's like they this game was closer than I thought it was. Like it was, I kind of felt Fresno was mostly in control for the most part because they're up ten zero, ten three, ten six. Like it was one of those games where field goal for BYU touchdown or Fresno would match and then exceed at some point with a touchdown. And mm-hmm. so, but that was the play right there, and they decided to throw when it was a twentieth. Like I said where they're at in the, end, in the air territory late in the game. My, they're, Brett, Al, Brett Alban's not a great kicker. He did okay, but like that's a run the ball. But the only quib I have really the first new offense, running game could have been a little bit better. That's about it. A little uh, bit. Y- yes and no. I mean, they were have, I, I didn't think they would have as much trouble running between the tackles as they did. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably more of a credit to BYU's strength than it is to any kind of weakness on the Fresno State offensive line. Yeah, I just like like they had only long of nine, and so like they had two touchdowns. Mims and Hokett had over a hundred yards, which is good. Like the combination of those two guys is pretty well, but kind of wanted some bigger plays. But uh, that's okay. They won. They're bulgeable. Um, somebody's got to cut a check for six figures, hundred k to Jeff Tedford. So there's that. Um, one question somebody had really quick: like, how do we see the division race going into next week? I guess um, Fresno pretty much has it in the bag for the most part outside of what we mentioned versus UNLV. Because, again, Fresno can have two losses. They can be 5-2 and two and still win the division. Mm-hmm. They For San Diego State to surpass them, they need uh, – Fresno has to lose twice. And if you go to next week really quick, we're going to wrap this up. I got to get talk to some hoops later with Eli. They go to Hawaii, to Wyoming, then host Boise State. Not um, those are those are some tough games a little bit, especially to travel, but they should be fine. The Mount Division where it gets crazy, like you mentioned. Air Force technically still in the mix, <laughs> three and two. It's yes, still boy, it's still Boise to lose. They've been playing the best by far. Like in conference play, they've only given up outside of Fresno State sixty points allowed. Boise's only given up seventy points allowed, and they've been and they've scored the uh, what third most point, well scoring one sixty five, just okay behind CSU and like Air Force and Utah State. So. Offense hasn't been there for Boise State outside of the Nevada game, but basically Boise just State, Boise just needs to win. That's all. That's what it comes down to, really. And next week they play really quick. They go to CSU, who's never beaten uh, Boise State Conference, so it'll get interesting if Colorado State pulls the upsets. Mm-hmm. Then there would be four and one. Well, depending on what what, what Wyoming does, but a one loss Boise State, two loss CSU team, and a Wyoming team with one loss. And Wyoming. Um, they already played Boise, right? They lost to them, correct? They lost, yes. So it's still pretty much Boise's hand. So it's a similar thing. So if Wyoming and Boise each have a loss, Boise needs to lose again. And they play Fresno, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. So it's still it's still kind of hard at this point to envision it not being Boise versus Fresno State. I would agree, I think. There's a few twerks, like because Boise's lost to Air Force before, and they play CSU, so that's tough. But uh, it's probably going to be Boise and Fresno. It just depends where, right? Mm-hmm. All right, anything else we need to add here? Are we uh, good to go? No, I think we're pretty much all set. All right, thank you for listening to the show. Head over to uh, MWR.com, check out a new layout, check out our top plays of the week. Bowl projections are in the books. Uh, by the time you hear this, I'm hoping. I have to hurry and get that done. And, yeah, if you want to write for us, shoot us a message, um, MWCR and Twitter. You'll get the post tomorrow tomorrow morning or whenever you read this because, yeah, we'd, we'd like you to be biased, right? We, we want more biased folks, correct? Oh, yeah, always. And we never say which direction. So if you're writing for a certain team, we know where you stand. But check out our show again. Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, um, all that fun stuff. Give us a review. Tell a couple friends. And, yes, we'll say it again. We're biased against your team.